Now we have a special treat for you. I don't know if you've personally listened to The Rest is Politics, but Alistair Campbell has reinvented himself with Rory Stewart, a former Tory minister, and he, of course, of the Blair era, writer, communicator, strategist, and all of that. But it is an unmissable uh, way of educating yourself about world politics, be it in the US or the UK. I've listened to it a number of times. Uh, Alistair Campbell, welcome to the Anton Savage Show. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm very good. And, and Matt Cooper and myself, have the greatest form of flattery is, is, is uh, plagiarism. Uh, we've done our own path to power. Well, I want to ask you about British politics insofar yeah. as Rishi Sunak said this week that the timing of the next election, he was on a working assumption, I quote, that the UK will go to the polls in the second half of the year and the indicative date being speculated today is the 14th of November. What say you? Well, what I say is that I've just this morning written my column for the New European, where I've made the point that in my view, every time Rishi Sunak or anybody else in the government or the Conservative Party drops a hint about election timing, we shouldn't even bother giving it the time of day. Um, I'll tell you exactly what happened last week. Keir Starmer was making his kind of, you know, New Year speech it was getting a lot of coverage on our media and Rishi Sunak suddenly pops up with this working assumption blah and the blah factory, which is what most of the British media is, goes into absolute overdrive talking about could it be this, could it be that. There'll be an election sometime in the next year and as far as I can concern, as far as I think most British people are concerned, the sooner it happens the better because our country's going nowhere, virtually Nothing works in Britain and nothing the government does and nothing Rishi Sunak does seems to work either. So I just think we've got to get on with it. And the the, the tragedy is, I mean, David Cameron brought in the Fixed Term Parliament Act, which meant that you could, you know, broadly plan long term for when the next election was. And then that wretch, Charlotte and Johnson, came in and undid it, which means that we're back to this endless speculating about timing rather than focusing on what really matters to people. What I learned from your review of the year, I think your accolade of politician of the year went to the leader of the Scottish Labour Party, Anwar someone, I can't remember his second name. Anas Sawa. Say that again? Anas Sawa. Anas Sawa. Now, what I I found really interesting there was that the the dynamic of what level of swing is needed in the UK greatly alters if... Labour supplants the SNP in Scotland. And given the difficulties with Salmond and with Sargent and all of that in court cases, give us your Scottish analysis first. Well, I've just been there. I've literally just yesterday, day before yesterday, got back from a couple of weeks in Scotland over Christmas and the New Year. And I think the mood has shifted. Um, I think there was, it was very interesting. We go up to the Scottish Highlands and you know, there are some people who, a bit like the Irish, as soon as they see you, they love to come and talk about politics. And they've got, you know, no qualms about telling you what they think and what they're going to vote and etc. But this is a part of the world where people maybe are a bit less forthcoming. But I noticed a real shift this time of people coming up, not necessarily the vote in Labour, but definitely saying, a lot of people saying they've had it with the SNP. And so I think you've got this very interesting dynamic. As you say, what the, the analysis we were talking about on the podcast at the end of the year, was that if if Scotland stays the same, in other words, if the SNP continue this amazing dominance that they've had 
in all of the elections, but including the Westminster parliamentary elections, then Labour need to win seats in England that we didn't even win in 1997 under Tony Blair. If, if on the other hand, there is a significant swing to Labour in Scotland, and let's say they get up to 20 five, even 30 sort of seats, that kind of number, then the swing required in England reduces significantly. So there's a reason why Keir Starmer has been going to Scotland quite a lot in the last year. It is very much, it's absolutely fundamental to the outcome of the general election as a whole. So let's take a bit of a dive into Keir Starmer, okay? Strikes me his biggest asset is that he's not Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, he seems a, a very upright type of guy, former, was a DPP, uh, mm-hmm. public official. Uh, he's Sir Keir Starmer. Um, but I'm wondering, the people that were indulged, uh, indulging Boris last time over, uh, you know, go to Doncaster, go to the north of England, go to Carlisle, go to Hull and those places. Mm. This was all red wall territory, uh, blue collar, working class people. And they deserted Labour. I don't know if Keir Starmer is the kind of charismatic figure that they would turn to. Discuss. Well, the first thing is that it's really interesting how these mythologies can develop about people. So Tony Blair, my old boss, he appealed pretty across the piece to, you know, to middle class people, to the professional classes, but also did very well amongst working class people. Keir Starmer is probably, if he becomes prime minister, probably will be the most working class Labour prime minister we've ever had, um, given his actual background. And, and it's very interesting. I think the fact that he, he's called Sir Keir, because that was a title that I think is given to, um, I mean, I'm a complete critic of our honour system, as you probably know, but it's, it goes with the job with the DPP, Director of Public Prosecutions. So it's really strange how he's been modelled in this way. And and I think partly with the thing about Keir Starmer that is really interesting about him as a, as a man and as a politician, he's very late, very late to politics. Both he and Rishi Sunak, assuming they're going to be the leaders of the main parties of the election, they've been in politics less than a decade, both of them. Um, and that is quite unusual for people who get to positions of leadership in the party. Now, what I would say about him is, I mean, look, and I'm, I'm not, you're not wrong. You do hear a lot of people saying he doesn't have Blair's charisma, he doesn't have Johnson's pizzazz, all that stuff. But I think there's also a sense that we've kind of, I think Johnson so degraded politics and political discourse in this country that I actually think a bit of serious is not a bad thing. And it's interesting, in your preamble, you said he seems a decent sort of guy. I think most people do see a decent sort of guy. And there has been so little decency and there's been so little seriousness in our politics. We're in the mess that we're in because we, we, our politics has not been serious for certainly since Brexit um, and certainly since Johnson and Truss. And Sunak is not really uh, repairing the damage that they've done. He's been across the airwaves this morning playing the old Tory game about it's all about tax cuts. I think the country just doesn't believe them anymore when they say we're going to give you tax cuts. Well, so, I, I, I don't know. I, I think the problem for Sunak is the same as the problem for Fine Gael, which is mm-hmm. that I believe unless it's Russia or China, once you do beyond a dozen years in power, 
And we started with Cameron and, and Clegg and so on and that coalition. So we've had consecutive years, and this happened with Blair as well, and it happened with Maggie Thatcher. I have an iron rule of politics and predictions that your sell-by date looms. So if Sunak gets up and says, we're going to do this about health, we're going to do this about education, they say, hey, mate, you've had 12 years to do something about health or education. Is that not the biggest problem? Yeah, it could be. And there's no, there's no doubt, look, time for a change is a, is a very, very, very powerful political dynamic. And when I was talking about Scotland, I was indicating that you've now got the sense of time for a change to get rid of the Tories in England and the rest of the country. And in Scotland, time for a change. Let's get rid of the SNP. But I still think that I, I actually think Sunak had and has completely fluffed the opportunity that he had when he became prime minister. If he had genuinely come up and said, said to the Conservative Party, first of all, listen, we've now had one, two, three, four, five prime ministers since David Cameron in 2010, that I am the fifth. I have to be the last before the next general election. I am going to be different to what's gone before me. I am going to undo the mess that Truss has made, and I'm going to reverse the madness of the dishonesty and the corruption and all the the terrible things that happened under Johnson. Instead of which, he came in, stood on the steps of Downing Street, and said, these are the words, I'm going to reintroduce professionalism, integrity, accountability, and he's done none of that. Um, so I think he missed the opportunity to be the change. And so this is where your point has real force, is that he's trying to project himself as a kind of new guy. Very, very hard when they've been in there since 2010. And, and actually, in a way, getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So, you know, David Cameron, now back as Foreign Secretary, when he was Prime Minister, I hated austerity. I hated the fact that he did the referendum on Brexit. But I didn't look at him and think it's ridiculous that that guy's the prime minister. Then Theresa May came in, did her best to clear up the Brexit mess, failed because she was being stabbed in the back and the front and the neck and everywhere else by Johnson and everybody else. Johnson comes in, utterly degrades the office, utterly debases our politics, doesn't actually get kicked out of any of that, but gets kicked out over the the lying over the COVID parties, etc. Liz Truss then comes in, an absolute abomination. Has left fewer than she has fewer days in Downing Street than Brian Clough had when he was managing Leeds United, I think. And she absolutely crashes the economy. And now we've got Sunak, who's kind of pretending that everything's going fine. So okay. the country are looking at them all and thinking, listen, you've got to go. The well, point I, that- I actually think Jeremy Corbyn bears like what Blair oh, did was he got middle England and middle class people to vote Labour. Uh, Corbyn, mm. that was anathema. But what I want to move on to, let's go on the working hypothesis that Keir Starmer is Prime Minister in the UK this time next year. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you two fallouts for Ireland. One is, do you see under Keir Starmer a new relationship between the UK and EU? Because it seemed to me bad enough as Brexit was, even Theresa May and others went for the most impractical, difficult terms of working relationships in terms of trade and cooperation. And the second issue is a border poll in Northern Ireland and the island of Ireland. What Mm -hmm. do you think, with your insights in terms of where Labour are at, under those two headings, what a Starmer administration means? Well, I, as you probably remember, I uh, was kicked out of the Labour Party because I wasn't happy with the Labour Party's position on Brexit and I voted Lib Dem in the European elections in protest at that. And at the time, Keir was Shadow Brexit Secretary. Um, I I would like Labour to be much more um, 
make part of the campaign the fact that the Conservatives have made a complete mess of Brexit to remind people of the lies, to remind people of the crimes and the corruption that was attached to the Brexit referendum. Now, I completely understand why Keir doesn't want to put it centre stage in the election campaign, but I think it has to be part of it. And the fact is that his, when he, he's got these five missions that he talks about a lot, the number one is to grow the economy. Now, there are lots of elements to how you grow the economy, but one of them has to be that we repair as much of the damage of Brexit as we can, and that means having a different sort of trading relationship with the rest of the European Union. Now, they are making the right noises about that, but I think that once you get into, if Labour get into power, then you actually then have to do the detailed hard work of trying to review the workings of what's gone on. But the Europeans are only going to come at that if they think there's going to be something in it for them as well. I mean, this Brexit is something that they didn't ask us to do, they didn't want us to do. We've done it. Now, I think for a while, a change in mood music will be helpful, but then you've got to get down to serious, detailed, difficult um, reviewing of the arrangements. And then on the, the one thing I would say to people in Ireland is that don't underestimate the importance in the, the story of Keir Starmer's life and career of the work that he did in Northern Ireland as a lawyer um, and the work that he did in Northern Ireland with the police service. And he, he, he's somebody who I think understands Northern Ireland in a way that, frankly, this lot have not even tried to. So um, what, what will happen uh, in relation to the issues that you're talking about will depend on all sorts of things, including what actually happens in Northern Ireland and opinion within the Republic of Ireland. But I think, back to my main point, at least you will have somebody who will take the interests of the people of Ireland, North and South, with the seriousness that they deserve. Mm, Methinks you, you, you talk a lot there and say nothing. I mean, do you think the prospect <laughs> of a, a border poll, right, is more likely under Keir Starmer, UK government or not? Um, well, at the risk of saying a little less that I've said, but not adding much to it, I think that, that is, that is uh, an assessment that we'll be able to make in due course. But I think, in, I think you'll at least have somebody who takes it seriously and doesn't play around with the issue, which I'm afraid is what I think this government has done for the last few years. Now, you put down your biggest shock of the year, finally, was the reappointment of David Cameron. I've Mm -hmm. always been a bit of a fan of Cameron. And, of course, the whole Brexit thing ended up being a disaster in terms of Mm -hmm. the outcome from his perspective. And it truncated his career and George Osborne and the whole lot went then. And it's been on a spiral ever since. Do you welcome his appointment as Foreign Secretary? Well, I said to you earlier, I, I think there's... I know there's it's not, not easy for you to say a good word about a Tory government. No, but I did earlier say that I didn't feel, you know, that at least I could look at David Cameron and think he was the, you know, it wasn't ridiculous, he was the Prime Minister. And I think, you know, to be fair to him, he, he's he's certainly putting the hours and the air miles in. I mean, the guy is, you know, he's he's been to the Middle East, he's been to Ukraine, he's made some sort of interesting interventions in the debates. He's, he, you know, he's he's taking the job seriously. Um, whereas what we had before this was a whole succession. I mean, you know, I can't remember how many foreign secretaries we've had in the last five years because this has been an utterly dysfunctional government. So he's a more serious figure. And the other thing that happens, he'll be taken more seriously. It was interesting, for example, when he went to France recently, uh, he met Macron. Now, normally, 
a head of state like Macron would not meet a foreign minister. I'm they sure would meet every every head of state in Europe wants to see Stammer in. Like that's no big surprise, is it? No, I'm saying, no. My point is that he he saw Cameron. Cameron saw Macron. That's right. Uh, oh yes, that's. Oh, I see. Yes, yes, Cameron. Yeah. As opposed so my, to so my, so my, so I, I see, uh, This is what you was you were so shocked by me not saying that all Tories are evil. That was actually, <laughs> I was actually saying. So that so that's to his benefit, as it were. That's a, that's a. A tick in, in the positive right. ledger. I think the downside for Sunak is it basically is a message to his party that he doesn't see anybody amongst the current members of the House of Commons that he thinks is up to the job of being foreign secretary. But I don't think, I don't think appointing Cameron, I think, yes, it reminds people of the referendum. Yes, it reminds people of austerity. But in terms of thinking, could that guy be a reasonably effective foreign secretary? I don't have a problem with that. Okay, that's as close as Alistair will get to a compliment about a Tory minister. I want to thank you very much for giving up of your uh, Sunday morning. You've lots of fans in Ireland on the Late Late Show recently, et al. I really would recommend the rest is uh, politics and Rory does a fair bit as well as Alistair in that. Alistair Campbell, writer, communicator, strategist, thank you for joining us.